You can turn with me either in uh, to page five of your bulletin. A little slippery up there. Um, or in your Bible, uh, if you have a Bible or on your phone, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 3 through 20 and then verse 58. It's on page five of the bulletin. I had a roommate in college named George. And uh, I lived in the house with George and two others off campus. And in this house, we had a washer and dryer. And in the dryer, as you do, we had a lint trap. Um, George was very particular about emptying out the lint trap, uh, which maybe you have someone in your household who's like that. They're in charge of the lint trap. That was George in our house. And um, George would kindly remind these, his fellow college guy roommates to empty the lint trap when, before you use the dryer. And he would say things really kind of like, hey guys, look, I know it's easy to forget, but it's really important that you empty the lint trap. Thank you. And these reminders went on and on. But we were college guys. We were not concerned about emptying the lint trap. Eventually, uh, George felt compelled to leave a note. Uh, you know things are getting serious when roommates start leaving passive-aggressive notes for the rest of the house. Um, sure enough, I went to dry my clothes. There was a sticky note on the dryer, and George had written all caps, Guys, clean the lint trap after you use the dryer. If you don't, our house will burn down. And I remember reading that note and thinking, Whoa, George is really serious with this reminder. He needs to relax a little bit. Our passage today is a reminder, and it's a very Serious reminder. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth and he is reminding them about the resurrection of Jesus and exactly what that means for them. And it's a reminder that we all need on Easter Sunday. With that in mind, let me read 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God." But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is, with, that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Then down to verse 58. 
Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The Word of the Lord. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. You have spoken to us. Help us to listen. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. If You don't work inside of us, we can't understand what this is saying. And so we, we plea with You to come now. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, here's how I want to think about this passage this afternoon. Two headings. Uh, for you note takers. One, the resurrection really happened. Two, why we need to remember it really happened. The resurrection really happened first, and then secondly, why we need to remember that it really happened. So first, the resurrection really happened. All right, so the Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Corinth. We're jumping in at literally the end of this letter, and there's all kinds of stuff that's going on in the church that he addresses in the previous 14 chapters. Things like division in the church, power moves, um, how the city of Corinth was like this interesting crossroads culturally and economically during this time. So the church had been heavily influenced um, by the cultural winds blowing on issues like sexual immorality and pagan religions and all kinds of stuff. And if you read this letter, it makes churches nowadays seem like pretty chill. There was a lot happening in Corinth. And then at the beginning of uh, chapter 15, verse 1, which was not included in the bulletin, Paul says very explicitly that he is reminding them of the gospel that he had already preached to them. The gospel, this good news announcement of what Jesus has done on their behalf. And it's just that. It's not new to them. He's specifically reminding them of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first thing he tells them is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was promised. He tells them that it was promised. Listen for the repetition as I read verses 3 and 4 again. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. What did you hear repeated? That's a real question. What did you hear repeated? In accordance with the Scriptures. Yeah, it's pretty good for Presbyterians. The death and resurrection of Jesus was promised in the Scriptures. It was not a pivot that God made because like, things had gotten really out of hand on earth, so He had to like, come up with like, a better plan to rescue His people. It was promised in the Scriptures. One example um, I'll highlight from the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 53. You can make note of that and read it later this week. This is the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before Jesus. He says, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With His wounds we are healed. 700 years before Jesus. That's what the prophet Isaiah said. He goes on. Therefore I will divide Him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because He poured out His soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 700 years in advance, Isaiah says that the Messiah, the suffering servant, would be pierced, crushed, uh, chastised, wounded, and die, all to bear our sin. And that tells us something about what God is like. Uh, the people that He created to live with Him, to be in loving relationship with Him, had other plans. 
We chose to live for ourselves rather than God. That happens in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve disobey God and it just unfolds throughout history even into us, into our own hearts. That's all of us. Sin is living for yourself rather than God. It's me at the center rather than God at the center. And that's what we did. We all rebelled against the very thing that we were made for. And what did God do? Um, Think about like the epic overused movie line in all the rom-coms where one character, the protagonist, um, is experiencing a turning point in an unhealthy relationship and they realize that relationship isn't good for them and so they decide to leave but the other person in the relationship, the antagonist, is like, if you walk out that door, you're never coming back in here. Is that how God treats us? The uh, if you mess up and leave, you're done mentality. How does God treat foolish people who make bad decisions and rebel against Him? He goes after them to save them. That's what He's like. He does not write us off. He does not slam the door on us. He is patient with us. He is long-suffering. And He's loving. And He wants us back. And He forgives us. Did you see how Paul says in verse 3 that Christ died for our sins? That means that if you give yourself to Jesus, you are cleansed from all the ways you have disobeyed God. So we have a dog named Max. Max is a black and white dog. He's very fluffy. And he spends a lot of time outside in our backyard. And when he's in the backyard, um, he does what dogs do. And he rolls around and he you know, is in the grass and the pollen and the dirt and all that. Sometimes he even has doggy playdates where his dog friends will come over and they'll run around together in the backyard. Eventually Max has to come back inside the house though. And as you can imagine, he brings all of that dirt and grass and pollen and wood chips back in his beautiful furry coat into our house. And so we have to give him a bath. My four-year-old daughter and I gave Max a bath last night. And he generally likes the bath. Um, you sort of have to like guard him once you shampoo him up to make sure he doesn't make a bolt for it and make matters worse. But afterwards, after we give Max a bath, we get him out, we dry him off. His black and white coat is like noticeably brighter. The white is like this pure, bright white. He's almost glowing. And then you look in the bathtub. After it's drained out, there is this nasty ring of basically like backyard residue that is left behind him in the bathtub. But he has been like cleansed. Do you feel clean? If you think about your life, do you feel clean? Do you feel like you've been forgiven for the wrong that you've done? And you may be able to like pretty quickly cognitively say, yeah, totally, Jesus forgives me. Do you feel clean? Deep in your bones? Or is there something that you've done that sticks with you? That you just can't shake? Maybe something you're even hesitant to say out loud because if you say it out loud, it makes it seem more real. This passage is saying that it was promised in advance that Jesus would come and take your sin, even that particular thing that makes you feel unclean now, on Himself and actually remove the dirt and guilt and shame for that real thing you've done and make you pure again. That's what this passage is saying this afternoon. The resurrection of Jesus was promised and also it was proven. 
It was proven. Are you ready for some more repetition? All right, listen to what gets repeated in verses 4 through 8. By the way, it's a big deal when Bible writers repeat their words. They were not like firing this off on a Google Doc or in their iPhone notes. They were using like very limited resources and papyrus to write this down. So it's a big deal. They only repeated what really mattered. Listen to what gets repeated in 4 through 8. It says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. What word was repeated? Appeared. Appeared. That's right. Four times, three verses. To whom did Jesus appear after he was risen? Cephas. You may have heard of the Apostle Peter. That's his name in Aramaic. Uh, to the twelve apostles. It says to the 500 brothers. Um, Paul says, some of whom are still alive. Why does he point that out? Why does he mention that? Hey, these guys are still alive. Go ask them. Go ask them if they saw this risen Jesus. And then Paul says that Jesus ultimately appeared to him. Talking about his dramatic conversion after Jesus had already ascended into heaven where Jesus speaks to Paul, knocks him back, the light shines and all that. Here's the point. The resurrection of Jesus was proven by His appearing to all these different people. It really happened. And you may have questions about that. And I would love to grab grab coffee and chat more if you have questions about whether that happened or not. Oddly enough, the Corinthians were not struggling with the question of whether Jesus actually rose from the grave or not. They believed it. Paul is using these beginning verses of chapter 15 as the basis for the argument that he's about to make. The resurrection of Jesus was actually the common ground they both agreed on already. It happened. Therefore, he's going to talk about the implications of the fact that it really happened. And this is where this might resonate with you. Maybe you're great with the resurrection of Jesus, even if like, Christianity is like not your main thing. You're here, it's Easter. A friend brought you, neighbor brought you, whatever. Um, you don't have any doubts. Um, you're in. But then you think about your own life. And you don't see how it makes any difference to you. Maybe you want it to. Uh, you want the risen Jesus to make a difference in your life. But you're still really anxious. Or marriage is still really hard. Or you're still just off the charts off the charts lonely or you're still addicted you're still angry Uh, you still numb out on your phone every night you still feel burdened with shame and guilt and you're just like yeah I, I, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus but I don't see any connection or implications or power in my actual life that's the tension in this text so second heading why we need to remember that the resurrection really happened. The first thing he says is that we need to remember that Jesus was really resurrected because it means, one, that we will be resurrected. It means that we will be resurrected. Look at verse 12. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So some in the Corinthian church, they they were confused about what happens after we die. They were confused. Um, A few years ago, my family and I spent a few summers in a row serving at a Christian camp just up the road. And I was there as a speaker. And inevitably during the course of our time, uh, when I would be there speaking to all these kids, they they ranged from, 
I don't know, maybe seven years old to seniors in high school. There would be questions that they would have, and sometimes their whole cabin would have questions. And so during the rest hour, we, we would have these um, Q&A times with cabin where I would go meet with a cabin, and they would just pepper me with questions. Anything goes, Bible, Jesus, anything. And so you just have, I was like super nervous about these because it was just nine-year-olds firing off questions nonstop. By far, the most common question I got was what happens to us when we die? And maybe that's a question you have. For those who believe in Jesus, when we die, our souls go to immediately be with Jesus in heaven and our bodies rest in a grave. That's, you know, we go to a funeral, we have a graveside service, that kind of thing. They rest in a grave. And the scriptures say that one day Jesus will return to this earth, make all things new again, and he will resurrect our real physical bodies from the grave or wherever we are, and he'll unite our bodies to our souls once again. So the body and soul that you have right now will be the one you have in glory when Jesus comes back and makes all things new again. Except it's not going to be the old body that you have now. It's going to be made new again completely. It's going to be glorified. It's going to be what the Apostle Paul talks about later in this chapter as imperishable. That's what happens when we die. And there was thinking in Corinth that when we died, our souls went to be with God in heaven but that our bodies just wasted away in the, and that was like the end of our physical existence because they were influenced by this cultural Greco-Roman idea that the spiritual is good and the physical was bad. So they thought that there was no resurrection of our physical bodies. But you can see Paul's argument, verses 13 and following. Paul lists off the implications. He sort of goes there with them. He says, okay, if that's what you believe, here are some implications. Verses 13 and following. He says, look, if there's no resurrection from the dead, what the Corinthians believed, then that means that Christ wasn't raised. He says, and then if Christ wasn't raised, then our preaching doesn't matter. If Christ wasn't raised, then our faith doesn't matter. If Christ wasn't raised, we're still in our sins. We are still guilty. We're still still bearing the weight of all those sins that we confessed Earlier, if Christ wasn't raised, then those who have died before us, they're just dead. They're no more. He says if Christ wasn't raised, then then us who believe are to be the most pitied because we've totally missed it. Um, We need to remember that the resurrection really happened because it means that the show does not end when we die. I watched a clip of an interview with the lead singer for U2, uh, Bono, and he was talking about his belief in the resurrection And he recounted this trip where he went to Jerusalem um, to Golgotha, Golgotha, the place where Jesus was crucified. And he said, that's where I saw the death of death. He went on to say, I don't really believe in death anymore. I don't really believe in death anymore. Can you say that? Are you so convinced of the resurrection of Jesus that it means your future resurrection and life with him that therefore we can think about death in a vastly different way than the world around us talks about, to where we can say, I don't really believe in death anymore. Um, If death scares you, if death feels like that's when the show is over, know that the resurrection of Jesus means that you will be raised in your physical body like he was. Paul says he was the first fruits, and you are united to Jesus. So as it goes for Jesus... So it goes for us. We need to remember his resurrection because it means that we too will be resurrected 
Secondly, we need, we need to remember his resurrection because it is our fuel for following Jesus. It's our fuel for following Jesus. Paul continues to make his argument throughout the whole of chapter 15, but at the very end of the chapter, he offers this therefore in verse 58, which you can see in your bulletin. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Ultimately, he tells them the resurrection of Jesus, it's the only thing that's really going to keep you going. It gives you power to be steadfast. It gives you power to be immovable. It gives you power to continue and abound even in the work of the Lord. Um, one of the things that I loved about Greenville when we moved here five years ago was that it's, um, it's like a town for endurance junkies. There are cyclists and runners everywhere, which is near and dear to my heart. Um, if you're into endurance sports or have seen the crazy people that are, um, you know that you have to stay fueled during longer efforts, whether it's running, cycling, uh, whatever it is that you're doing. If you don't fuel yourself, you will bonk. Bonking in endurance sports means you completely run out of energy and you basically collapse, like you have nothing left, like you're zapped. It's the reason you can see professional marathon runners who run like four minute miles for a marathon, um, like barely able to jog. It's because they bonked. And so endurance athletes, they'll take gels and stuff along the way to keep them fueled. Okay, in your life of following Jesus, have you ever felt like you're about to collapse? Like you can just like barely get one foot in front of the other, like we think about ourselves as followers of Christ where he seems so far in the distance like you're starting to maybe lose sight of him and you're struggling to get one foot in front of the other and you would just kind of want to throw in the towel live how you want to live do what you want with your body do what you want with your money do what you want with your time following Jesus can be really hard it means saying no to a lot of really tempting things and living a utterly countercultural life which is it'll just wear on you and if the resurrection of Jesus did not happen, there's no way to keep up that fight. But it did happen. Jesus rose from the grave, so we keep fighting. This is our fuel to follow Jesus. A few years ago, one of my daughters played on a basketball team over the winter. And um, at the end of the season, we were cleaning out old clothes to give to Goodwill. And her basketball jersey accidentally got thrown into the Goodwill bag. We didn't really know this, didn't think a whole lot of it, until a few days later we got an email saying it was time to turn in basketball jerseys so they could be reused for the next season. Keep in mind, this is church league basketball, so we couldn't just ignore that email. We had to do something about the jersey. Um, the jersey had been discarded, but I, but I remember thinking, like, I have to go back to, get to Goodwill to see if this jersey still exists. And so I went down to the Goodwill on Augusta, and I explained the situation to them, and they tell me it's going to be really difficult to find. It, you know, because it had been sorted. Some clothes get thrown away. Some are given to other stores. Some are on the racks. And it had been there over the weekend. So they said it may have been sold. I'm not sure what the market is for used girls' basketball jerseys. Could be really hot right now. And so it might be gone. And so they said, hey, if it's here, it's out there on the racks. And so I went through the racks of Goodwill looking for this discarded jersey. And sure enough... I found it, and I took it to the front desk, and I paid the money to buy it back. It was like $2, I think. The resurrection of Jesus means that you have not been discarded, 
but you really have been bought back. You've been purchased by His blood. And if you're here this afternoon and you would not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, maybe you're thinking like, you're not antagonistic to it. You're like, that's great for other people. It's not my thing. It's certainly not my main thing. I've got other things I'm into, like my job, my career, finding someone to get married to, um, or you know, fitness or health or whatever it is. Jesus is not your main thing. You would not consider yourself a follower. If that's you, first of all, thank you for being here. You are welcome here. We want you to stay here. Regardless of doubts or beliefs, stay with us. Come and process with us. But if that is you, there is an invitation this afternoon to follow the risen Jesus. To make Him your main thing. To let your heart believe that He really does love you. And that He really does value you so much that He died to have you back. And that He offers a life that is the most fulfilling life. It's so much more fulfilling than living for your career or finding a mate or health or self-actualization. It is so much more fulfilling than all of that. It's the most fulfilling life you could live. That's your invitation this afternoon to follow Jesus. Or maybe you're here and you're all in, you're committed, you're seeking Jesus and following Him. The invitation to you this Easter is to stay the course. To use Paul's words, to be steadfast, to be immovable in your faith, to keep abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord what you're doing is not in vain. It's worth the fight. It's worth the struggle. Knowing that there is nothing that this world can throw at you that will knock you off course. You have every resource in the risen Jesus to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that because of the resurrection, your labor is not in vain. So wherever you find yourself this afternoon, to those who don't yet believe, to the skeptic, to the doubter, to those who are committed followers, the invitation this afternoon is to believe once again that Jesus really did rise from the grave and to follow this risen Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for the good news that the resurrection is true. And no matter how many times we've heard it, oh, how we need to hear it this afternoon, once again, the tomb is empty. He is not here. He is risen from the grave. That gives us hope beyond our own grave. Thank You that death is not the end for us. Not even for our physical bodies, but we'll be resurrected and live for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Life unimaginable in a physical body. The very ones we have now. Jesus, that makes us cry out to You and say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. In Your name we pray. Amen.